Please take your Bibles if you would. If you would find the Old Testament book of 1 Kings. We're in 1 Kings chapter 18. Going to be reading verses 17 through 24. Thank you so much. Thank you to our praise man. Thank you for leading us in worship. And the hardest working man in the business, Aaron Smith. We appreciate him always. And uh, uh, Aaron, you should have done the, I, th- I was thinking you need to do that fast song last so you could rest. But you made it well. We appreciate you. And how about our children's choir? Man, looking forward to that time tonight, 5 o'clock, and uh, you want to come and be a part of that. They do a great job. Appreciate all the effort from our children, from our leaders that are put into that. Today we've, uh, today we've recognized seniors in both services. Of course, here we have our seniors who are graduating. In our first service, we recognize our senior adults, 14 90-year-olds we have in our church. That's got to be some kind of record per capita or something that we have 14 90-year-olds. About half of them are here. You understand that some can't be here when you get 90 and maybe not. But probably the amazing thing to me was that uh, about half of them that were not here were traveling. They couldn't be here because they're off gallivanting somewhere. It just seems amazing to me uh, that that happens. And of course, our graduates got applauded because of their great recognition of their accomplishments that they've made. Our senior adults got applauded just for being here, every one of them we said, but, but that's good. When you're 90, you ought to get applauded just for showing up. So we appreciate, we appreciate that. Next week, we have our parent-child dedication there on Mother's Day, so we have babies. So from babies to our children to graduates to senior adults, we have lots of stuff going on for all ages, multi-generational church. We're excited, of course, about all that the Lord is doing. We're in the midst of a series of messages that we're looking at. We're in First Kings and kind of a series within a series asking, what can God do? Well, what can God do in this world in which we live? What can God do? More than one time it is said, of course, in the scripture that nothing is impossible with God and we recognize that's possible. So we're being reminded of that as we come into worship today and as we serve and even as we read this passage. So we're reading the middle of 1 Kings and the first part of 1 Kings, it talks about that uh, there's been a famine in the land. In fact, Elijah, the prophet, has come along and he said that uh, there's going to be a famine in the land. There'll not be rain until my word because of Israel's unfaithfulness and because of their worship of idols and worship of other gods. And uh, so we find that in 1 Kings 18 that God tells Elijah, said, go find King Ahab and let him know there's going to be rain. But before there's going to be rain, something else is going to happen and something else is going to have to happen. And uh, so we're kind of reading in the middle of that where he comes and he finds Ahab and Ahab comes to him. 1 Kings Chapter 18, beginning with verse 17, it says this, When Ahab saw Elijah, Ahab said to him, It is you, you troubler of Israel. And he answered, I've not troubled Israel, but you have, in your father's house, because you've abandoned the commandments of the Lord and followed the bells. Now therefore send and gather all Israel to me at Mount Carmel and the 450 prophets of Baal, 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab went to all the people of Israel, gathered all the prophets together at Mount Carmel. And Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people did not answer him a word. Then Elijah said to the people, I, even I, only am left a prophet of the Lord. But Baal's prophets are 450 men. Let two bulls be given to us and let them choose one bull for themselves. Cut it in pieces and lay it on the wood, but put no fire in it. And I'll prepare the other bowl and lay it on the wood and put no fire to it. And you call upon the name of your God, I'll call upon the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. 
And all the people answered, it is well spoken. May the Lord bless the reading of his holy word today. You want to keep your Bibles open. We're going to look at these verses a little closer as well as other verses that are in this particular chapter. But humans must love competition. We love to play sports. We love to watch sports. Even this weekend was the uh, Kentucky Derby, which if you're into that kind of thing, could have been an all day or all weekend kind of event called the fastest two minutes uh, in all of sports. So we like to watch not just sports, other kinds of competition as well and compete in. We compete in school. We compete in the job. We watch game shows. Uh, we watch uh, survivor type shows. And who would have thought there'd been a whole network all day long and all night long about cooking competition. And there's another one for real estate. I even think the coronation of the king was kind of a competition. I, I don't know if anybody watched any of the... I thought, well, this won't help then if you didn't. But uh, I thought they, it was a competition on who could walk the slowest. I think there. Listen, it was 70 years since the last coronation. I'm not a prophet nor the son of a prophet making this prediction. It will not be 70 years before the next, I believe. I'm just saying. So when Elijah told the people of Israel, let's have a best goat playoff. Best God of all time and see which God sends the fire. It was a no-brainer. All the people said, yeah, that sounds good to us. Why not? Well, we'd like to see that. Because humans love competition. However, God does not. He does not put up with any competition when it comes to whom we will worship or whom we will serve. In Deuteronomy chapter 5, we have the Lord giving or Moses giving the people the second time the Ten Commandments. It already done in Exodus 20. And he said the same thing, particularly when he came, comes to the second commandment. You shall not make for yourself an image to bow down or to worship. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sins of the parents to the third and fourth generation. In other words, when it comes to worshiping other gods, small g, or idols, God takes that kind of competition very seriously, and he does not put up with it. But he does go on to say, he shows love to a thousand generations of love, those who love them and those who keep his commandments. This showdown on Mount Carmel will be a demonstration of God's power. It's also a demonstration of grace and a call for Israel to turn back to God. This is one of those highlighted stories in the Bible. Listen, all of God's word is important. But as we read about this story and read these passages today, it'll be a time just like it was for Israel to where they were going to experience something new, something they'd never experienced before. Today, as you've come into the place, into this place to worship, and as we pay attention to this passage, it will be true that you may be able to experience more of the Lord Jesus than ever before. Today, you can experience the Lord like never before. Speaking of competition, Ahab meets up with Elijah. First time in three years, they've been looking for Elijah. Elijah's been in hiding, not necessarily because he had to, but God had him getting ready for this particular time. Ever since Elijah had announced that there would be no rain except at his word because of Israel's idol worship and unfaithfulness. And when they find one another, when Ahab comes, they do a little name calling. Ahab says, is that you, you troubler of Israel, or you troublemaker? And Elijah says, I am rubber and you are glue. Whatever you say bounces off of me and sticks to you. Okay, that's not exactly what he said, but that's a paraphrase. Uh, the exact quote, we're going to take a moment. Can you spot the troublemaker? Can you spot the troublemaker and discover if you are one? Here's the exact quote. 
Chapter 18, we read it a moment ago, verses 17. When Ahab saw Elijah, Ahab said to him, Is it you, you troubler of Israel? And he answered, I've not troubled Israel, but you have and your father's house because you have abandoned the commandments of the Lord and followed the Baals. It was not the first time that Elijah would be called a troublemaker. In fact, three times in his dealings with Ahab and with Jezebel, he is called a troublemaker. Let's ask the question, was Elijah a troublemaker? You know, it's been said that some of the greatest compliment that you can give a preacher is for somebody to say, you made me feel a little uncomfortable today. Or you stepped on my toes or you've called stirred enough to make some changes. Well, King Ahab and Queen Jezebel and even the nation of Israel would have remained fat and happy, worshiping other gods and going along in their pagan lifestyle. But God used Elijah to get their attention because they were headed for destruction. And he first announced there'd be no rain except at his word. And soon he would settle the issue of who was really the one true and only God. We're told when people begin to freeze in the cold, there comes a time in the process to where it would be easier and less painful just to become numb and freeze to death because with warmth there comes pain, but pain is the sign of returning life. Sometimes the Lord will use pain and even struggle to bring change or to bring us to real living faith. Change will not happen unless we're troubled, unless we're troubled by our sins. Unless we're troubled that we're not following God as we should and that we need to be closer to God. And even sometimes as a church, we recognize that sometimes we need to be troubled and be sure that we're on the right path, that we are seeking to love God and seeking to love others and to serve God and to serve others. Elijah teaches us that some troublemakers are doing God's will. Some troublemakers are doing God's will. You had no doubt where Elijah stood. His name means Yahweh is my God. Now, not everybody lived up to their name, but it seems that Elijah did. 1 Kings chapter 18 and verse 15. We started with 17, a couple of verses before that. This is the way it says in the New International Version. Elijah said, as the Lord Almighty lives, whom I serve, I'll surely present myself to Ahab today. It is true that if you and I decide that we will stand up for the Lord, if we'll seek to live for the Lord, that sometimes we're going to cause trouble along the way, perhaps, or we'll at least be swimming against the stream and the flow of traffic in this world. In Acts chapter 5, the, Peter and the apostles are arrested for preaching about Jesus, and it says that they're put in the jail, and while they're in the jail, an angel comes out and breaks them out, breaks them out of jail, and tells them, says, go stand in the temple area and tell everybody about real life. Well, they come to get the disciples the next day, and they come in, they find that all the jail's locked up, but the disciples are nowhere to be found. So the code reports that the disciples are missing. They're not in the jail. It's locked up. They're nowhere to be found. Somebody speaks up and says, they're not missing. He says, no, they're in the temple area, and they're telling everybody about Jesus. So they go and they arrest them again. In Acts chapter 5 and verse 28, it says this. They said to the disciples, the court of the high priest, we told you plainly not to teach in the name of Jesus, but look what you've done. You've been teaching all over Jerusalem. You're trying to blame us for his death. That's when Peter and the apostles replied, we must obey God rather than men. They were troubling the city. You know that many people would say and are saying that Christians are troublemakers. I mean, there are a lot of things that we don't agree with politically. A lot of gender issues that we don't agree with. We stand up for sanctity of life, many other moral issues. Some see the things that we stand for as intolerant and even unloving. 
But even in the face of that, we continue to seek to spread the message of God's love. Talking about Jesus and the message of truth is found in God's Word. May we continue to be that kind of troublemaker. May we never compromise God's truth. And may we always seek to show God's love. Even progress and growth and change in the church. And among church members sometimes can bring trouble. Sometimes can bring... uh, Uh, uneasy feelings. Well, these are things that we have to deal with as we go, but we must continue to do God's will. Our only option of no trouble is to do nothing as individuals and as a church. But uh, I'm afraid then that only Satan would be pleased and not God. How about Ahab, king of Israel? Was he a troublemaker? Here's the king of God's chosen people. Ahab was a wicked king. So was his wife Jezebel. Her name has been comes synonymous with the term colorful wickedness. Not too many girls you're going to find today that are going to be named Jezebel. Instead, it's become a description of a wicked woman. She brought in the false religion of Baalism to Israel and the practice of immorality and pagan sexual perversion as a part of worshiping false gods. Can I tell you that next week on Mother's Day, we will not be preaching on Jezebel as a good example. How evil was Ahab and Jezebel? Well, you know something about the northern kingdom, two kingdoms, there's a southern and the northern kingdom, the kings of Israel. Hardly any of the kings of Israel, the northern kingdom, were good. But look what it says in 1 Kings chapter 16 and verse 33. It says, And Ahab made an Asherah. Ahab did more to provoke the Lord, more to provoke the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger than all the kings of Israel who were before him. And that's saying a lot because there were some evil kings before Ahab. But Ahab was the worst. And Jezebel was even worse as the queen. Now, he was the worst kind of troublemaker because he angered God greatly because he was to be the leader of God's people. So some troublemakers are leading away from God. Some troublemakers are leading people away from God. None of us here are an Ahab. We're not a Jezebel. But let us be careful that we are seek to lead people toward God, point toward Jesus by the words that we say and by what it is that we do. And how important this is for servant leaders in the church, like Sunday school teachers and deacons and ministry team members and preachers. There are a lot of wicked people in the world, and they all need Jesus. But it seems to me as I read the scripture, what makes God really angry are those who are to lead God's people who cause the people of faith to take their focus off the things of God. And this is for everyone. In fact, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 18 and verse 6, but whoever causes one of these little ones, and little ones certainly could refer to children. We saw some here on the stage today. Little ones could also mean maybe even those who are weak or immature in the faith or even new believers. Whatever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it'd be better to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and be drowned in the depth of the sea. Let's just you and I decide that we want to seek that whatever we say and whatever we do, we'll seek to honor God's name, build up the church, and show loving kindness to all. But let's watch from this passage what happens when God's people move away from the Lord. When God's people move away from the Lord and some clues on how to return. Here was the nation of Israel... God's people who were far away from God. Now, if you know anything about the Old Testament, the story of Israel, it's often a roller coaster ride, but they're often being more unfaithful than they are being faithful. We're told in the New Testament, these things are written down so that we might learn from them, often learning what it is not to do. Do you think it would help us to know the process of how that happens? 
Because it happens to church folk. It happens to believers in Jesus. I don't mean that we lose our relationship with God. He never leaves us nor forsakes us. Kind of like the Israel of the Old Testament that continued to be God's people in spite of their unfaithfulness. But we do sometimes break our fellowship with God. And when we do, we miss out on all the good that the Lord has in store for us. We miss out on living to our full potential and being used for our potential and growing in our faith. But it doesn't have to be that way. Oh, if we can see the process, maybe we can prevent that. 1 Kings chapter 18 and verse 18. Now we've looked at it a couple of times, but I wanted you to notice these words that said, you've abandoned the commandment of the Lord and follow the bells. So you move away from God when you abandon God's word. Now here's an essential element that will keep you from being in God's will. That if you have put aside a quiet time, a time in which you're spending time in prayer, time in God's Word, listening to God, what He would have to say to you, studying alone or with others. Not only will it slow your spiritual growth, but then you've begun that process to move away from God. And what happens when you abandon the Word of God? Well, you stop trusting in God alone. You stop trusting in God alone. Well, there were dozens of gods that they worshipped, dozens of gods that Israel worshipped, you probably know we worship even more. Those things that we depend on and trust in or even those things that we worship, maybe without even realizing it. Sometimes it's money or materialism. Sometimes it's a job or somebody or even self. And once we abandon God's word, we begin to rely or trust in something other than God or God alone. There's a third part of the process. Look at verse 21. Verse 21, it says this, And Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. If Baal, then follow him. And the people did not answer him a word. Sometimes that's translated instead of limp along. Sometimes it's waver. How come you're going to waver between the two? It's actually a word that means leaping from one side to the other. They were literally, spiritually, sitting on the fence, seeking to worship God and at the same time, Seeking to follow the rituals of going through the process or maybe uh, just going through the motions of worshiping the Yahweh, the God of Israel. When they asked, how long is this going to happen? Not a word. They were silent. But third part of the process is this. It's when you, it, the process when you make wrong or easy choices because of the process of abandoning God's word, stop trusting in God alone, and then you're going to make the wrong choice or you're going to make the easy choice, which is not the best choice. When there's a crisis or a decision to be made or when God moves, if we've fallen away from God, we'll not be able to know or discern God's will, not be able to see where God is at work because we've been falling into the process of being far away from God. The question is, do you, do you want to make the best choices? Do you want to be able to see God at work in crises in your life or know that when He's moving in your life or be a part of the greatest work there is to be in the universe? I don't, I don't think the Israelites, at least at the beginning of this chapter, knew what they wanted. They, but what a gracious God we serve because He made it available for them to come back and renew their fellowship and experience real faithful living among God's people. Now we read about the showdown between the 450 prophets of Baal and God's lone prophets. 850 prophets were invited to come to Mount Carmel. All the people were invited. It seems that only 450 prophets of Baal are spoken about. 
This has all the dramatics of one of the great showdowns in history. They would each prepare a bull and a sacrifice on the altar and call on their God. And the God who sent the fire, He is God. Forget reality TV. Forget Survivor. This is better than the Super Bowl or Game 7. And Elijah says, I'm, I'm one lone prophet. And you've got many prophets. So he graciously said, you go first. False prophets choose a bull for their sacrifice. They prepare. And they begin to call on their God. From 6 a.m. till noon they call, but there is no answer. There is no voice. They dance and they leap about. Six hours pass. Elijah begins to taunt them. Notice his words in 1 Kings chapter 18 and verse 27. Notice what he says. And at noon Elijah mocked them, saying, Cry aloud, for he is a God. Say it louder. He's a God. Maybe he's, you know, either he's, he's musing, he's meditating somewhere. Or he is relieving himself. Do that mean what I think it means? Yeah, I think it does. Notice what the paraphrase it says in the message. It says, maybe he's on vacation. You don't suppose that he has overslept, needs to be waked up, do you? They cried louder. They began to cut themselves as was their pagan custom. The Bible said that the blood did flow on the altar. For nearly three more hours till it was close to the evening sacrifice at three o'clock in the afternoon, nine hours had passed now. The Bible says there was no voice, there was no response. No one paid attention because their God did not exist. Or did he? Here's one of the depictions of the Baal God, I think maybe I've got there for you. Boy, does that remind you of anybody? The Israelites are not worshiping God, then who are they worshiping? You know what, this should remind us that Satan has power, but his power is incomparable to God's power. He did not respond because God did not allow him to respond. Satan's power is limited. God's power is unlimited. You can take the picture off. We don't have that one up that very long. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, you cannot serve two masters for you'll love one and hate the other. You'll serve one and not the other. You can't serve God in money. Jesus said. Well, he knew us, didn't he? In the King James Version, it says you cannot serve God in mammon. And mammon may be a little bit broader description about greed and material or even anything that this world has to offer. But mammon's also a name. It's a name for a powerful demon. Some believe to be Satan himself. Can't serve God in Satan. Can't serve God in this world. Can't serve God in the things of this world and what it has to offer. One day, you'll call upon that God, that little G God that you've been worshiping there because you've not been worshiping God alone. And that God will not answer. But God, Yahweh, the God of Israel, the God of creation, the Redeemer God, is waiting for you and I to call upon Him with our whole heart. Now, we could say a lot about those things that perhaps we've been trusting in and those things that we've shed blood, sweat, and tears offered for things that we trust in other than the one true God. But I really want us to focus on what Elijah did and ask, do you really want to experience more of Jesus? Would you like to see the church catch fire? In contrast to the wild ravings of the 450 false prophet, Elijah calmly calls the people to come close. So I want to invite you to come close today. I want you to pay attention to the scripture. Listen closely. Verse 30. 
First Kings 18 says this, Then Elijah said to all the people, Come near to me. And all the people came near to him. And he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been thrown down. He repaired the altar of the Lord. The altar that had not been used for so long, it needed repairing, been thrown down, cast aside as unimportant. You may need to repair or to restore your altar today. We do that by setting aside time that we're going to spend with God, rearranging our schedule, even canceling other things if that's what's necessary. Time with God, worshiping, praying, studying, meditating, need to be a priority. Do you need to repair your personal altar? Do you need to repair your family altar? You may need to provide a family altar so that your home can be dedicated to God. Some of you may need to repair or restore your church altar. In other words, our worship that we do here on the Lord's Day and at other times needs to be a priority as we come together to worship our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. But most important, restore the altar of your heart. Be sure that Christ is on the throne and you're submitting to Him in all things. The truth is that you and I, we can survive without restoring the altar. We can. But you will never experience more of the living Lord Jesus without Him and without restoring your altar. Know today that your altar is not beyond repair no matter what's happening in your life. Notice verse 31, 1 Kings 18 and verse 31. It says, Elijah took 12 stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob to whom the word of the Lord came saying, Israel shall be your name. Well, he reminded them who they were, who they belonged to, what God had done for them as a nation. Why 12 stones? Well, it reminded them, of course, of Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel. 12 sons, 12 tribes of Israel. All that they had in the nation that they were was because of the graciousness of God. May we remember, may we remember the words of the psalmist in Psalm 8, to where he said, When I consider thy heavens and the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars... Which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou visitest him? For thou hast made him a little lower than the angels, hast crowned him with glory and with honor. So when you come to your repaired altar, if you do nothing else, remember what the Lord has done. Remember what the Lord has done. As we come into this place of worship, if we do nothing else, may we remember what God has done for us. For whatever we have, whoever we are, is because of the graciousness of God. We have life, and new life, and eternal life because of Jesus. What a mighty God we serve. But Elijah didn't stop there. Look at verses 32 through 35. 1 Kings 18, verse 32. And with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord. He made a trench about the altar as great as would contain two seas of seed. Trust me, that's a lot of seed. And he put the wood in order and cut the bull in pieces and laid it on the wood. And he said, fill four jars with water, pour it on the burnt offering and on the wood. And he said, do it a second time. And they did it a second time. He said, do it a third time. And they did it a third time. And the water ran around the altar and filled the trench also with water. Would you agree if fire was going to come and it was going to burn that altar, it was going to have to be a God thing? Folks, when was the last time that you attempted something or God asked you to do something that you knew if it was going to happen, God's going to have to do it? 
We make goals around here. We make plans around here. But I wonder sometimes, could we accomplish those things even if God was not in it? Now understand, we can do nothing apart from God. But I'm going to tell you, listen, if you repair your altar, if you remember what the Lord has done, chances are God's going to ask you to do something that you could not possibly do by yourself. And the Lord's asking us to do that even as a church. But also, we recognize that you must rely and trust on the Lord for all things. You must trust and rely on the Lord for all things. Listen to Elijah's fourfold prayer in verses 36 and 37. He prayed for these four things. You see them there, verse 36. And at the time of the offering of the oblation, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel, that I am your servant, and that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God and that you've turned their hearts back. So Elijah prayed, show them that you're God. Show them, Lord, that I'm your servant, that this is your word, and may their hearts be turned back to you. That's what it's all about. That other people might be able to know that He is God. Yes, we belong to God, but we humbly say that. May people know God's word, and may hearts be turned back to Him. Notice the first seven words in verse 38. It says, then the fire of the Lord fell. Oh, what God can do with one second. In one second. After nine hours of the others who called upon and danced and leaped about and cut themselves and blood did flow, in one second, here comes the fire of God. He can send fire to consume a water-soaked offering an altar to prove He is God to turn the hearts back to Him. What did the people do? Verse 40. It says the people cried out to God, they bowed to Him, they fell, and they said, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. When I was in college, and that was a long time ago, when I was in college, I was doing a youth Bible study in Sylacauga, Alabama. One Wednesday night, teaching youth, and suddenly we started to hear fire trucks coming our way. One of the youth looked out the window and yelled, The school's on fire across the road and across the, fire, the tracks. B.B. Comer High School had called on fire, at least a building of that fire. And hundreds and hundreds of people were standing in the churchyard watching the fire burn and watching the fire department go and all of this. Now, nobody was hurt, and they ended up building a much nicer building afterwards. But here I was in college. You know what I was thinking at that time? we got to start burning stuff on Wednesday night. When this church really gets on fire, more people will fall down and worship and proclaim the Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. Stop waiting for the world to change. Let the fire fall on your heart and on my heart. You know what they did next? They said they slaughtered all the false prophets. Now, before we get into the discussion of the bloodiness of the Old Testament, let's be sure that we know the application. As the false prophets and the foreign idol worshipers were to be done away with in the Old Testament, so are we to do the same with sin which should be foreign to all those who are followers of Jesus. But here's how you'll know. If you truly want to experience and are experiencing more of Jesus than ever before, you will be ready to repent and remove all sin and be obedient to all that God asks you to do. You repent and remove all sin and be obedient. The same group who stood silent when Elijah asked, how long will you go limping between two different opinions? How long will they waver between... God, 
the true and living God and the gods of this world, these same people who were silent are now falling down and worshiping the one only true God. Elijah says then to King Ahab, he says to the king, he says, you better go get you something to eat and drink. It's exactly what he said. I think what he meant by that is because the rain's about to fall. He said, you better go ahead and go back to your palace before you get caught because the rain's about to fall. Then it says that Elijah went up on the top of Mount Carmel to the very top. And he humbly bowed on the earth, it says. He told a servant, he said, go look toward the sea and tell me what you see. Servant came and came back to Elijah and said, I don't see anything. He said, go back and look a second time. He came back a second time and said, I see nothing. These seven times he told his servant to go and to take a look. Chapter 18 and verse 44 says this, And the seventh time he said, Behold, a little cloud like a man's hand is rising from the sea. And he said, Go up and say to Ahab, Prepare your chariot and go down lest the rain stop you. There was a lot we can learn from Elijah about his prayer life. The writer of James, James is the writer of James. James told us about the prayer life of Elijah as well might remind us of something that Jesus said when he said, Ask and you will receive. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. Actually, the tense of that English or that, those words are asking. Keep asking. Keep seeking. And keep knocking. Well, we understand sometimes it's hard to keep asking, keep seeking, and keep knocking, especially if we feel like God's not answering or slow in answering but truly believe that his timing is impeccable. Trust me, I know sometimes it's hard, but if it was easy, it would not require much faith. The Bible says that the sky grew black, the clouds came in and the winds began to, to rise, and there was a great rain. Now, you know the story. You've heard it at least today. Which was the greater miracle? Was it the fire that came down on the altar? Was it the rain that came after three, over three years of famine? Or this last verse in chapter 18 and verse 46. To where it says, And the hand of the Lord was on Elijah, and he gathered up his garment, and he ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. Now the distance from Mount Carmel to Jezreel is about 17 miles. Ahab was on a chariot. Here was Elijah. He runs from Mount Carmel to Jezreel and gets there before he is. Gets there before him. Now, you don't believe everything the Bible says, do you? Well, I do. And here's why. Did you notice what time it was when the fire fell from on the altar there on the mountain? It was the time of the evening sacrifice at 3 p.m., why put that detail in? You might remember the Gospels that says that Jesus was placed on the cross at 9 a.m. He was on the cross for six hours. Darkness came across the entire world from, three, from noon to 3 p.m. And at 3 p.m. Jesus said, it is finished. And in that second, when Jesus died, he took the sins of the world upon him. And at that moment at 3 p.m. in the afternoon, the fire of judgment fell on Jesus so that we might not be condemned for the wages of sin is death but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord 
I believe the Bible to be true because all who believe Jesus, the one and only true God, the same God who brought the fire and the rain in 1 Kings 18, He died in our place and He rose again. And only in Jesus is there victory over all competition. There is no competition. All who place their faith in Him repent of their sins are given real living and eternal living and are changed. His church ignites when people are transformed, when people are changed. Some people are far away. They need to be brought close. Maybe somebody here today that's far away from the Lord. You're not where you need to be, and you need to be brought close to the Lord today. And the Lord stands waiting, wanting for you to come to Him. Some people are complacent, a little apathetic. The Lord wants you to be at a place to where you care about nothing else but pleasing the Lord Jesus Christ. And some people need a spark to be on fire for the Lord Jesus. It is our prayer today that the fire will fall on this church. The fire will fall on your preacher. The fire will fall on everyone here because Jesus is the King of Kings. Jesus is the one and only God who is worthy of worship. Let's bow together. Father God, we have come into this place. We thank you for how we have been able to worship you through the songs that we've sung, through the prayers, through the songs of others. And we pray, Father, know even through the proclamation, the reading of your word, that your name is glorified. We pray, Father, even our imperfect selves, we pray that you can be pleased with us and we come presenting ourselves to you today. Say, Lord, thank you for calling us. Thank you for making yourself known in our lives and allowing us to become believers in the Lord Jesus. Thank you for forgiving us of sin. Now, Father, may our hearts be in tune. May our hearts and lives be on fire for you. May we seek to follow you every day, every minute of the day. We know that when we fail, if we confess our sins, that you are faithful and just to forgive us, cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And Father, we pray that we may be on the right pathway as a church. We pray that we might be on the right pathway as individuals in following you and following in your footsteps. We recognize and know that there may be some here today that don't know you as Lord and Savior. Maybe some listening today. Or maybe some of those that are unsure. Well, today they can be sure. Knowing and believing that all of God's word is true. Knowing that Jesus loves us, cares for us, will forgive us. We can call upon you to be Savior and Lord. Thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for the truth that you reveal.